Welcome to HeartSpeak Podcast, episode 254, Nurturing Our Gut. Welcome to the HeartSpeak Podcast, where valuable insights are shared that bypass the mind and resonate with the heart. Listen, open your heart, become inspired, find the joy and fulfillment that awaits when you follow your heart. And now, here's your host, Dr. Christine Page. Well, hello there, wherever you're in the world. It's good to be back with you. And we're coming down to earth. We're going to enter into our gut and talk to our gut to see what we can do to make sure that it's functioning in an optimal way. I find it's interesting that we will send probes out into the universe and we'll explore other things, but we have very little understanding of the beings that are already living with us in harmony. And what may cause them to go out of harmony. So it is said that we have trillions, trillions of microorganisms living with us within our body. Many of them we know live within our gut, within our lungs, within our noses, within other parts of our body, on our skin. But of those trillions, we probably only know the names of maybe 15,000. And of that 15,000, it's said that we only know maybe what they do in about 500. 500 compared with trillions is really not a lot of knowledge. And what we understand is that even if we understand what they do, what their purpose may be, we have very little understanding of what can happen or how we can disrupt their normal life cycle. And this is what I'm going to try and talk about a little bit more today. So we're going to focus on the gut because it's really becoming very apparent that what they call the microbiome, this this microorganism environment that exists obviously in the soil as well and in other places, but our personal microbiome has a lot of activity that can cause us not only physical problems in the gut, but also affect greatly our immune system, our cardiac system, and surprisingly, our mental state. It is even believed that it can be a precursor to what goes on in our brain function, such as in situations like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, and of course, autism. So we need to focus on the gut. This seems to be an important place to come to. And yet we will spend so much time looking at the brain or looking at the blood, whereas everything I believe comes from this core of ourselves that we call the gut. Now, when I was a medical student, I have to say we did very little work on diet and nutrition. Can't even remember a class on it. But as I went into general practice and became a GP, I became more and more interested in what was going on with my patients that caused them to experience disease from a very nutritional point of view? It seemed to be a sensible place to go. Not only could I see that stress could affect their health, but also their diet in very simple ways. And I ran a diabetic clinic back there in the mid 80s, and we saw that during the summer, the diabetics that came to see us would have problems controlling their sugar because they were eating lots of soft fruit. So they would 
come into me and I'd say, well, I, have you been eating strawberries, raspberries, melons? And they'd go, yes, we love them. Peaches, nectarines, and guess what? Their sugar went out of control. And I think many a time people are saying, oh, eat more fruit. But it's the type of fruit. Does this have very high levels of fructose in it that may affect your blood sugar? And of course, if you do get that rise in blood sugar, you also get a rise in insulin, but then the insulin needs more sugar to feed it. So keeping our insulin at a reasonable level and our blood sugar reasonable means we don't get these highs and lows that so many people experience. And then I found that I had a group of clients that came in and said, oh, my thrush, my candida has gone out of control. I've got vaginal itching. I've got bloating. I've got diarrhea. I've got constipation. And I again said, have you been eating a lot of soft fruits? And they went, yeah, that's me. And it was particularly pertinent in the women who might have been taking the pill because estrogen or estrogen also has an effect on the gut lining and candida. So what is candida? It's a fungus, it's a yeast. And what I like to say is it lives in harmony with us. It's not the problem. Again, we tend to see something and say, you're the problem, when really we're the problem for causing the environment of our gut to change. So what happens is if you eat a lot of fruit or mushrooms, or as we know, and take antibiotics, the environment of that yeast goes out of balance. So as I like to explain, it then creates lots of little babies to survive. And we call those spores. And those fungal spores then cause the problem that we then describe as candida or thrush. Make sense? So it's not the yeast itself that's the problem. It's what we're doing to the environment that's causing this issue. I can also remember going to lectures on how we should add more fiber to the diet to help our bowels move in a more successful way. We talked about having floating stools were good. So we added more bran, we put more husks into bread. It was good to have this sort of energy in the stools. And we all went, yes, this is good because it also has what we call a long carbohydrate, but much better for diabetics. But what we ended up with was people who were having more challenges with their diverticular disease because diverticular disease is where you make little or you have little pockets in your colon, especially, and pieces of bran or something that was fibrous could get stuck in one of those little pockets and cause much more pain than the person had before. And so it became a, something I remember classically doing, which was telling some of my diverticular clients when they were going through a lot of pain is to go back to the white bread again, because they needed to have less fiber because it was irritating their bowel. So we often talk about something and say, ah, this is good, but we don't see the, it covering the whole person. And one of the things I started to do in general practice, which is actually test my clients with applied kinesiology as to whether a food was good for them, whether a vitamin was good for them. And it was a simple test. And I might do it in a, my setting where I would literally ask them to bring in pieces of food in an envelope. So we sealed the envelope so neither of us knew what the food was. And then 
I would even get an assistant to come in and place that piece of food or that envelope with the food in it behind their back in the area of the heart chakra and to see whether or not they weakened. And I would often use what we call the deltoid muscle. So they would have their hand out to the side. And if the food was actually influencing them, their arm would become weak. Now, you can do the same thing with dowsing if you're a dowser or a pendulum, or you can just use your fingers where you say this is strong and then put the food or think of the food and immediately you'll be able to pull your fingers apart. So here I've got my thumb and my middle finger together. So look at that as an idea. And I have done that for maybe 30 years now where someone says, oh, I'm taking this vitamin. I don't know if it feels right for me or do you think I'm allergic to this food? And even as I just put that food in their aura, their body will start to feel weakened. I mean, we feel it in ourselves, don't we? It's like, oh, I don't know if I really want that. So becoming more sensitive to a food group that just doesn't feel right to you is really important. Do you resonate? Does your frequency resonate with this food group? Because if just because someone says it's good for you, it doesn't mean you should take it. I have difficulty breaking down beans and rice. It just isn't, my body doesn't really enjoy those sorts of foods. And sometimes people say to me, oh, well, you should take this to stop that. And obviously, you can take little tablets to help break down such fiber. And I just come back and say, well, it, we don't have that on my planet. <laughs> that tends to shut them up. Because just because someone says it's good for you, it may not be in your frequency. And this is very important when we come to our microbiome because what we're starting to understand is that within all those microorganisms are genetic, is genetic information. So there are genes within all those microorganisms. And those genes have been developed specifically for your culture. They are passed down from the mother, obviously, specifically, but through your cultural ancestral lineage, you are given the microbiome, the genetic information that will help you survive where you live. So what we know is that, say, someone in Africa has a very different microbiome than someone who's living, let's say, in England because of the circumstances. And so trying to say that one medicine is going to fix the whole problem is definitely not the answer, nor should we mess up the microbiome of an individual who has learned to have these organisms that keeps them healthy. Does that make sense? So once we understand that there's a genetic information in the body or and whether it's in the gut or in the nose, et cetera, we start to see, wow, we should be very careful not to mess this system up. And what someone that I've been listening to has been doing, and I really recommend her work, and I'm just going to make sure I have her name right. Her name is Dr. Sabine Hazan. She's a gastroenterologist and a researcher. And I was listening to her article on the high wire. She says that she is someone who has always studied fecal matter. Not everybody's choice, but this is what she did. And she said, I used to be asked by different drug companies to test their products out and to see what this started to do to their microbiome. And she said, I'm, you know, I wasn't 
affected by should this work or not? She said they just wanted to know the effect. And she said, I was fascinated to see that how different these microbiomes are, as I've just explained. But she went on to one of the practices that is becoming more common, which is what we call fecal transplant. And so it's, she says you put a piece of feces from someone who's healthy into a capsule and you get them to swallow it and you can have remarkable effects. She also says that there's a lot of fraudulent microbiome fecal material floating around that you should be careful of. But she said what was interesting is that she hadn't realized just how much the genetic information was important, not just to the physical form, but to the mental form. And she only saw this when she saw that someone's experience, their fecal matter that were from a person who had manic depression, once it was given to a person who didn't have manic depression, it actually caused this person to have manic depression symptoms. Now, that's an extreme, but she said, I never realized that not only was I exchanging fecal material that may have an influence on their gut, they were trying to calm down the gut, but that it was having an influence on their mental state. And as we see when we talk about probiotics and, and prebiotics, what we're starting to see is symptoms such as depression, anxiety, stress. A lot of this has to do with what's going on in your gut. And what she's saying is that as someone who has been involved in fecal transplant, you have to be extremely careful about where you're getting your genetic fecal material from. Because she says in the list that she's being asked to use for research, nobody's asking what's your mental state. They're saying, have you got a healthy bowel? But this really brought to mind, wow, what's going on? So before I go into that, let me come to my own experiences in terms of looking at the chakra system, the psychospiritual messages of disease. So what are we talking about? We're, we're specific, specifically looking at the solar plexus, just over the area of the stomach, the sacral chakra, the base chakra, solar plexus, the stomach. This is the big satellite dish where we pick up information. It picks up emotional and psychic information that's often unspoken. So if you are very sensitive, you have a huge satellite dish at that solar plexus picking up everything that's moving around you. And if you have a belief that the world out there is a dangerous place, it's even intensified because you're trying to make sure you're safe. So if you have a hypersensitivity and a desire to please other people or keep yourself safe or not be criticized, you're more likely to have problems with hypersensitivity to foods, which may be expressed through ATP, eczemas, lung problems. This whole hypersensitivity is often at the solar plexus level. So calming the stomach down with some medicine isn't going to work if your solar plexus is wandering around too open. The idea, therefore, to close that solar plexus, to calm it down, and even put your hands across your stomach, which we naturally do. Also, of course, we do our inner work to realize that the world out there is not a danger to us as much as helping ourselves to become stronger within ourselves. 
Other people get indigestion because they're overwhelmed by all the things they're being asked to do. And it's not just what they're being asked to do, but how they feel they need to do it. I've got to do it perfectly. I've got to please other people. So we have a lot of people with indigestion. We have a lot of people with reflux, which is now called GERD, G-E-R-D, gastroesophageal, they use the E, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Well, it's reflux, okay? Heartburn. So what is this? Okay, so we know it's a lax esophageal sphincter. But more importantly, what's going on here? So what I commonly see is you're burning to say something. The burning is coming up to the throat chakra, and then you swallow it again. So the burning, the heartburn, is very much about what's going on in your stomach that you're burning to say, but you're not allowing it, so you're swallowing it. And where's the burning coming from? Coming from a sense of anger, irritation. So what are we not expressing? What's going on and where are we getting irritated? You understand? So we have to look at this whole cycle of mind, body, spirit, rather than just, oh, we've got to take something to calm this down. And I need to say just at this point that what we take to slow it down is, oh, we take antacids, or we take H2 blockers, or we take proton pump inhibitors. What are we doing? We're shutting down the, the acid in our stomach. And everybody says, oh, yeah, you've got too much acid in your stomach. Well, what happens is you can't then digest the food because you need acid in your stomach. So I've had times where I would actually add acid to someone's diet. Literally, uh, you can buy hydrochloric acid tablets because they'd taken so many antacids, they had no acid left. And you're not dealing with the problem. Why are they so stirred up? What's going on in them? Why are they taking on all this energy? We go down to the small intestine. Small intestine, we have a now again SIBU uh, test. Oh, here's a SIBU test. Oh, I must have that one done. Small intestine, bowel, uh, over, what is it? Over something or other. Um, <laughs> overgrowth. SIBU. Oh, I'm having a SIBU test. Okay, so now we're looking, is your small intestine bowel overgrowth in your microbiome? Oh, yes, it is. Oh, let's, what should we do? Oh, let's send down antibiotics. Oh, what do antibiotics do? Oh, they knock out all your microbiome. <laughs> oh, that's a solving the problem, I don't think. So what is the small intestine? The small intestine is linked to the heart in, in acupuncture. Small intestine is the ability to absorb into ourselves that which nurtures us and to not absorb those things that don't nurture us. So knowing to be able to say, this is me, this is you, having healthy boundaries is a good way of having a healthy gut, a small intestine. It's part of what we call the immune system. So a healthy immune system is a healthy small intestine, it's a healthy heart, and it's a healthy heart because you're saying, I know what is good for me, and I don't take on anybody else's energy. So then we have something called a leaky gut, and a leaky gut is being blamed on this poor protein that is a not keeping um, the linings close together so the gaps are appearing. So, oh, let's treat the leaky gut. Well, yeah, but 
what this is really telling me is this person has poor boundaries. They don't know what's right for them. They don't know what nurtures them. They're being led by everybody else telling them what they should do. Of course, we then start to see gluten sensitivities. We see, of course, celiac disease, and we see many other illnesses coming here. But the small intestine is our boundary, and it's so about I will honor myself, I nurture myself. And I find that so many times I speak to people and say, well, what nurtures you? And they go, I don't know. What brings you fun? I don't know. What do you need? I don't know. So it's coming back to what is resonant with us, what helps, what brings us nurturing. Healthy gut, healthy mind, healthy immune system. They all go together. And then we go to the large intestine, which is where do we get rid of information? So the large intestine still breaking down foods, but it's not breaking, it's not absorbing. So it's breaking it down, it's mashing it down. And the, the system is, okay, eventually you let go of it at the other end, at the rectum end. But no, I'm going to hold on to it because I don't want to let this go. So what do I see in the large intestine? I see holding on to old hurts, resentments, and wanting to keep regurgitating them to remind yourself just how bad the situation was. So I'm going to say if you have diverticular disease, if you have bowel cancer, you have other systems in there, uh, problems there in the colon, it's like, are you letting go or are you holding on? And then you talk about constipation. If you can keep telling me a story about what happened to you 40 years ago, you are holding on. If you still held hatred towards someone or you can't forgive, let your bowel sort it out. Let it go. And the last system I'll talk about is IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. IBS is often seen, it's very painful. It's often seen as a non-pathological problem because if you looked at the bowel, it doesn't show anything, but it brings you diarrhea, constipation, bloating, restriction. It, it, it's a very uncomfortable situation. But I remember working with someone who was doing biofeedback, wonderful biofeedback, where he was taking patients who had IBS and through a computer-generated little picture, the more they relaxed, the more the bowel calmed down. <clears throat> and I've seen IBS be much more common in people who tend to keep everything inside, everything's wonderful, and yet inside their bowel is churning. And I would often ask my IBS patients, what's going on with you? What happened? And they'd say, oh, my daughter's son came home from college but I've been smiling and making sure everything's okay. But my bowel is saying, I want to speak out, but I want to be loving and I want to be kind, etc. There's so many symptoms there that we're not looking at at the deepest level, which I wanted to share with you. So let's just, I'm going to bring this around. So now we know that the gut has certainly at this very physical level, these microorganisms, and those when the bowel is out of action, it can certainly cause problems to the mind, to the body, obviously, to the immune system. They're the, the big problems. So 
when we look at the gut, and this is a really research we need to be doing, it's all very fine to say that, oh, you've got a positive SIBO test, you've got a positive GERD test, you've got, or you've got GERD, or, or you've got a, a problem with a leaky gut, but we're not going to what caused it. We now know, of course, that antibiotics can have a huge effect on this, wiping out this natural balance of the microorganisms. We know that steroids can do the same, or steroids, although there's, of course, a, a reason for being on them. We know the pill can upset the balance. We know stress upsets the balance. We know that ibuprofen or any of the uh, non-inflammatory uh, painkillers can do this. We know that diet can do it by putting too much sugar, for instance. We know that GM crops and any GM foods can do this especially if pesticides have been used to control any problems around those GM crops. And we know, for instance, that someone who tells me they're gluten sensitive may well find that they can eat gluten in other countries where GMO was not allowed. So it's not, again, the wheat that protein you may be sensitive to. It may be where it's come from. Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who did a lot of good work as a gastroenterologist looking at inflammation of the bowel in a small group of autistic children was then vilified and had his license taken away because he made the statement that said that possibly this is a connection to the MMR vaccine. Of course, everything blew up, but if you're interested in following that, do look up his work. But what he said and what others have said, that 90% of autistic children have some sort of bowel issue that often causes them in a smaller proportion to be in so much pain, they don't want to eat. He said he couldn't understand how these children weren't screaming with pain because when he looked at their gut, it was almost as if they, their whole gut was inflamed. This research has gone on and People still saying, well, no, this isn't true because, of course, if we mention the word vaccine, it's actually no, no. But there are other doctors who have taken the work and staying away from the word vaccine have said, yes, there is a dietary issue in autistic children. Not all of them. But I know that if I had a diet, uh, child who had been diagnosed with autism, I would want to try the diet. And I understand they are already very picky about food. But working with their food intake certainly can help out. And it can help out to such a degree by just taking out the casein that's in the milk and the gluten that's in the bread. Again, I'm not giving advice, but it seems to be we are not looking at this in a way that says what goes on in the mind can be affected by what we put into our gut. There's also the influence of probiotics. You may have come across probiotics. You may be taking them. Dr. McCullough has shown that literally putting someone on probiotics, and this is something you can buy over the counter. It doesn't have to be something that comes out of the fridge, but that you can actually reduce someone's anxiety, their stress, their depression, just by putting them on probiotics, something like lactobacillus, et cetera. They have shown that in the probiotics is an ability to lower the pH, make it more acidic, which produces more lactic acid, which helps the gut. So taking 
probiotics, but also reducing those things that I've said that were going to influence it, like antibiotics, et cetera, really important. But if you're taking antibiotics, please take probiotics as well. There's also prebiotics. Prebiotics are seen in the fermented foods, the onions, the leeks, the pickles, the olives, apples, bananas, some of these foods that will ferment if you leave them long enough, are said to also help to lower the pH, increase immunity. Might not be for everybody. Some of those foods may not suit you. But if a food can ferment, then it's probably good. Kefir, yogurt, sauerkraut. But being careful that if you do take yogurt, don't take a yogurt that's got a lot of sugar in it because you're just defeating the object. So looking at probiotics, prebiotics is really important. And just coming back to Dr. Sharon's work, she worked a lot with COVID. And she said what she found is the people who got the most severe cases of COVID, and because she was taking fecal samples before and after, she found that those who had the greatest symptoms had almost no uh, and microbiome, their microbiome uh, environment was very low, or as she was saying, there's very poor diversity. So the more we take those foods or do those things that I've suggested that, that don't help us, we lose the diversity of our microbiome. And it feels that that is a key to this. And she said, you know, even amongst a brother and sister, the brother having really healthy microbiome with lots of diversity, he hardly was affected by COVID at all. The sister was badly affected. So it's not necessarily just the virus that can have an effect on this. It's actually what is the environment in which that virus is seating itself. And this was very much one of the ancient statements, which was, it's not the virus, it's the soil that matters. And that I've you know, been studying for a long time. And the soil is, is what is the virus falling into mental, physical, spiritual health? What is the soil? Your mental state, your physical state, your spiritual state will affect how that virus affects you. And sadly, again, it's been seen that because the vaccine for covid has spike protein in it, and you are actually a manufacturer of spike protein, the more you take of that vaccine, the more you are destroying your microbiome. Because there is in that some people, as I say, it's not everybody, but those who already start out with a low level of probiotics, healthy microbiome, they are going to be greatly affected. So I hope I've covered a large area for you. Please look at what are you putting into your body? Is what we're doing helping us or not? Please think about taking probiotics. Please think about changing your diet so you're not taking processed food. Please think about taking healthier foods. Be aware of this new coating they're now putting on fruits. I think it's called AFL. 
produced to actually coat the food, coat the fruit, has to be now being labeled on the fruit. But that coating has so many things in it that we do not need in our body. So even if you might say, oh, this is organic, if the food is being coated and you're eating that, you're already doing yourself some damage. Please go local, know who your farmer is, know what soil they're growing their food in, and be kind to your gut, mind, body, and spirit. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the HeartSpeak Podcast with Dr. Christine Page. Please check out all HeartSpeak episodes in the podcast archive section on www.christinepage.com. HeartSpeak is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and now playing on Amazon Music and iHeartRadio. You can also watch the archive podcast on Christine's channel on YouTube and now on Rumble. Connect with Christine on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, including her newest Facebook group, The Great Mother Calling. Do share with family, friends, colleagues. Join us next time for another edition of Heart Speak.